Here's a question for you to think about today. Do you find that it's easy to miss God's work in the world because the things of this world are a distraction? When we're focused too much on the world, its values, expectations, and temptations, it's hard to also be focused on God. To follow Jesus is to serve and sacrifice for others, not elevate ourselves at the expense of others. And Stephen Davey called today's lesson, Me First. The Guinness Book of World Records documents a host of things people have accomplished, records that they've set, which sort of set them apart. And frankly, it amazes me what people have done to get a world record. Uh, For instance, there's a world record held by a man who sat up in a tree for a total of 431 days. (laughs) Another entry of a college student who holds the world record after taking a 340-hour shower that lasted 14 days. Of course, if he were anything like my college roommates, he probably needed it. Well, then there's the entry of a housewife who holds the world record for throwing a a two-and-a-half-pound rolling pin used in the kitchen for spreading out dough. Well, she threw that rolling pin 175 feet in the air. (laughs) I imagine all she has to do is reach for that rolling pin, and her husband immediately takes out the trash with no complaints. Well, it, it might not be sitting in a tree or throwing a rolling pin, but there is, you know, in all of us, a desire to be first, to be, you know, the best at something. Webster defines ambition as an ardent desire for rank, fame, and personal advancement. Well, let me tell you what happens next, recorded in the Gospel of Mark now, in two different scenes, which at at first seemed disconnected, is going to address this subject. These two scenes are actually uh, rather connected in that they show uh, the contrast between the humility of Jesus and the ambition of his disciples. Now, in chapter 10, we're reminded here in verse 32 that that Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem. We're also given this rather interesting comment. Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. This amazement and fear are the result of Jesus' determination to go to Jerusalem. The religious leaders are, are, are determined to kill him, John chapter 10 has told us. And to add to their amazement and fear, Jesus doesn't hide anything from them. He says here in verse 33, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, this is the third time Jesus makes this announcement of his coming death and resurrection. Back in Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, when, when he made this announcement to his disciples, you remember Peter rebuked him. The second time he told the disciples what was coming in Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, we're told that they didn't understand his words. 
in Luke's parallel account of this third announcement, we're told here in Mark chapter 10, it records that the disciples, again, don't comprehend what Jesus is saying. They, they don't connect the dots. In fact, proof that they're clueless is revealed in what happens next. Mark chapter 10 now, verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now back in Matthew's account in chapter 20, we're told that the mother of James and John uh, make this request on their behalf while James and John are standing there. Mark emphasizes that the request originated with these two uh, young men, frankly, two cowards, who are going to let their mama do the talking for them. But here's why she thought she had an inside track. The mother of James and John was named Salome. The descriptions of her and other women later at the cross suggest that she was actually the sister of Jesus' mother, Mary. If so, you've got a family relationship that, that make James and John think, you know, they got the best chance to get the best seats, the honored positions. You see, they wanted the world record, so to speak. They were sitting closer to Jesus in the coming kingdom than anybody else. Now, their request reveals that they don't grasp what Jesus has repeatedly predicted, that he's going first to suffer and die. It also reveals a me-first attitude in the disciples. And by the way, this included all of them. Earlier in Mark's gospel, they're arguing over which of them is going to be the greatest. And even in the upper room later on, on the night of Jesus' arrest, they're sitting around arguing, if you can imagine it, about which of them is the greatest disciple. You got to wonder why Jesus put up with them and how he could even use such ambitious, self centered men. Well, let me tell you, I'm glad he did because that gives you a chance and that gives me hope that he will use us as well. The truth is, Jesus uses imperfect people who can easily get caught up in a me first attitude. And here's Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10 and verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? This reference to a cup was a symbol in the Old Testament for hardship and anguish, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17. Likewise, baptism is used here to picture being fully immersed in suffering. Jesus is is saying to them, can you handle the anguish I'm about to experience? Well, if you can believe it, James and John respond with, we are able. We can can handle it. Jesus answers now in verse 39, oh, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus says here, in effect, yes, you will indeed suffer like me one day. 
but only God the Father can determine somebody's position in the coming kingdom. Now, if you think the other disciples are, you know, have a little halo over them, no, James and John make the other disciples angry. We're told here in verse 41 that the other ten disciples are indignant at James and John. How could they ask this? We should have been part of this conversation. They're, they're ambitious as well. They have the same desire. And so now Jesus addresses this attitude of me first. And by the way, this is the attitude that has taken our world by storm. Jesus says in verse 42, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Both expressions here uh, that Jesus uses, lord it over them, exercise authority, uh, they stress the idea of someone, you know, being a big shot, somebody using authority in a domineering and oppressive way. Beloved, this is how the world acts. This is how you prove you're in first place. This is how you show off your importance by making other people serve you. In fact, You might make other people feel miserable because it makes you feel superior. Well, in contrast, Jesus says this here in verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So the standard of of greatness in the mind of the Lord is defined by serving others. In fact, the word servant, diakonos, emphasizes the work of serving others. In fact, we get our word deacon from diakonos. It means a servant. The word Jesus uses here for slave, doulos, emphasizes a subservient relationship to a master. So, we are to serve others considering them superior to us. And Jesus says, you live like that. That is true greatness. Well, now Jesus applies this definition of true greatness to his own incarnation, his departure from the glory of heaven to join the human race and suffer for our sins. Jesus says here in verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word he uses here for a ransom originally referred to the price paid for the release of a slave. In other words, Jesus died to emancipate all of us, because we're all slaves to sin. We're all enslaved to death. Jesus came to set us free. He is true greatness. And as we imitate him to those around us, well, we're not going to live by the standard that says, me first. We're going to live by the standard that says, here it is, me last. You first. Well, until our next wisdom journey together, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Stephen called this lesson, Me First. 
Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible on this wisdom journey. He has a new lesson each weekday, and I encourage you to follow along. When you do, God will use the power of His Word to transform your life by transforming your heart. In addition to this wisdom journey, Stephen has additional resources designed to help you know what the Bible says, understand what it means, and apply it to your life. Stephen has a second daily program called Wisdom for the Heart. He also has a collection of articles, books, and so much more. All of Stephen's Bible teaching resources are available on his website. Navigate to wisdomonline.org to find all of it. Once again, that website is wisdomonline.org. Visit there today and join us next time to continue traveling on this wisdom journey.